and welcome to episode 94 of the Pack If You podcast, where today I have guest David Downing, who is the co-founder and CEO at Chipmunk Baking, which is a specialty baking business that focuses on creating low-carb and no-added sugar desserts, and it is located in Houston, Texas, and the business was founded in 2019. Now, with this being episode 94 of the podcast, a lot of you will be really familiar with who I am. But for those of you who are just tuning into the show for the first time, my name is Hayden Thompson, and as well as running and hosting this podcast, I also work for a food packaging company located in Vancouver, BC, Canada called Foodpack. Um, now, this podcast itself has really turned into a good resource for business owners and operators just like you uh, in the food processing and CBG world um, who are in the thick of running their business. And I love hearing about all of their stories um, that go hand in hand with it all around entrepreneurship and startup life. Um, I absolutely love it and I get so much out of it and I really hope that you do too. And today's show with David really is no different. Um, now, David himself has a strong background in accounting. He has a BA in economics and an accounting master's degree, and he has multiple years of experience working for global professional service firms and a venture capital firm, which is really cool. Um, and all of that experience really has set the stage for David and uh, co-founder Jose Hernandez uh, for a great working partnership um, at Chipmunk. Now, today's conversation in particular, as with all Pack of Your Podcast episodes, really revolves around the startup story of Chipmunk and the highs and lows that entrepreneurship and startup life can bring. Um, but with David's background in finance, like I mentioned before, and also analytical data crunching, among many things, we discuss their approach to social media campaigns, e-commerce and website development and key resources required to keep their business ticking. So a lot packed into this episode. Um, as usual, if you've got any questions or would like to continue the conversation, jump online at LinkedIn. You'll be able to find me there at Hayden Thompson or at The Pack of Your Podcast. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at The Pack of Your Podcast or shoot me an email at Hayden at The Pack of Your Podcast.com. Enjoy. All right, let's do it. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Hayden. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you here, mate. Um, your name came up uh, through conversation with Erica Rankin from Brodo. And uh, she mentioned, I actually reached out to a few of the um, previous guests that I had and I'm like, hey, who do I need to talk to out in the field? Like who's doing an amazing job with their business and who are you learning from? And Erica wrote back and said that I needed to speak to you. So here we are. <laughs> High praise, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, mate. Like Erica's got some really good things going on. And, you know, the cool thing, like we've said it so many times on this podcast, but LinkedIn is an amazing resource for, you know, broadening your network and, uh, you know, meeting new people out in the world. And you're based down in Houston, Texas, correct? Yes, that's yeah. right. So that's pretty cool. I uh, I managed to have a chat, um, you know, with a few business owners um, from around the world, but you're the first from Houston. <laughs> it's not a whole lot of uh, CPG companies of note in Houston. I think Austin takes a lot of our fame. Austin from for us. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rebecca Rokon from um, Pivot and Pilot, which is a marketing um, agency. They've just actually they're Vancouver based, but she's opening up an uh, office in Austin. And mm -hmm. uh, I touched base with her when she just moved down there, and she said, "Yeah, the scene is definitely um, it's definitely a lot going on there." Yeah, it's a great city. I actually went to uh, grad school there. But it, if you live anywhere else in Texas, like you kind of know Austin's a place to visit. You don't yeah. want to go there because it's just so crowded now. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's awesome to see it. I think it's really cool that like Tesla is there as well. I'm kind of a Tesla fanboy. So. Yeah, yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Elon's there. Rogan's there. I, I think a lot of people are gravitating to um, Texas and Austin in particular. Um, yeah man i mean we could go down the rabbit hole of like the current state <laughs> of the world right now we'll probably leave that conversation for another day but yeah man cool to hear that you're in texas and some cool things going on um i see that you are you did your master's degree in accounting you've got your ba in economics correct 
Yes, that's right. Uh, went to Rice in uh, in Houston, and then grad school in accounting at, at Austin. So yeah. it was a great, great educational background. I think for what I'm doing now, especially yeah. accounting. If I could recommend any single university class to anybody out there, it's like go do accounting 101. Yeah. Uh, because if you take that, you'll understand how any business ultimately like functions because you know how they make money. <laughs> yeah, dude, I did um, with my master's um, course that I did in entrepreneurship and innovation. There was a unit on accounting and it was, you know, very broad. And, uh, you know, we didn't really drill into anything because you're just trying to knock it out in a semester or whatever it was. And uh, it was just really nice to have an understanding of, you know, the language that you can use when you're actually speaking to your accountants, yeah. um, what they are potentially working on and how to work with them and just yeah get that level of understanding um just so that nothing is a bit of a surprise was really valuable to me um sure. but you know understandable that you know when you're actually engaged in like a full program you must like <laughs> learn a shitload and yeah. um yeah being able to that apply that to um chipmunk where you are right now i'm assuming that's your that's your superpower that you apply every day is sort of that number crunching and sort of that analyzing through numbers yeah i um i guess i'm sort of the CEO and controller CFO. So I do yeah. all of our bookkeeping. Um, and a lot of that's because I had learned it through prior jobs. And then, um, yeah, just be able to take data, clean it, uh, summarize it, present it. It helps yeah. a lot with, yeah. uh, I mean, as you know, any any business, there's so much data and, and being able to actually assess that and understand like, are we trending in the right direction or wrong yeah. direction? That's kind of like step number one to being yeah. able to manage your business. Make decisions. Yeah, that's right. Um, so mate, a lot to discuss. Where should we start? I mean, you're an accountant by trade. You uh, you have started a CPG business. How did that all come about? Yeah, I um, think if you took a time machine and spoke to me ten years ago, I would never have believed you that I would be running a cookie business yeah. of all things. Yeah. Uh, basically, I, I, what happened is in in 2019, I was working uh, for a venture capital firm, and we were in this co working building, and so we were around startups and entrepreneurs i was sitting in a lot of like board meetings with entrepreneurs that were you know working with our firm and um i met this guy named jose hernandez who uh was working for one of the portfolio companies he was working sales he has a background in kind of uh, human biology personal training um he and i quickly became friends and we actually ended up being roommates because uh, oh, cool. I, I was new to town and just wanted to save some money and uh, we, he, he's a personal trainer too. So like we would literally work out every morning. It was awesome. a great, great deal for me. I was saving thousands of dollars on uh, you know, his personal <laughs> training regime. Um, but, you know, I think naturally being around a lot of startups every single day for both him and me kind of sparked this uh, itch where we're, we were just seeing, you know, when you pull back the curtains on businesses, mm -hmm. especially startups, you, you sort of see that it's a mess, right? Mm -hmm. And uh you know, the, the people running the show aren't necessarily uh, doing it from a, a point of just like supreme intelligence. Like they don't really know that much. They're just kind of going one day at a time. And so I think when we saw that, like that real, the reality of what a startup is, it eliminated the fear for us. And we're like, you know what, like these guys are all doing it. They don't really know what they're doing. Why can't we try something too? Because um, I, I had worked in corporate America for about 10 years and um, had sort of reached a point where I wanted to build something and um, take more ownership instead of just, you know, being one in thousands of employees. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we we started talking. And um, the unique thing about Jose's personal background is he has type two diabetes. Mm. Uh, when he was in university, he was diagnosed with it. And when that happens, he 
addressed it via his diet. He didn't take any medication. He just like really dramatically altered his diet, cut out a lot of processed carbs, cut out all sugar and got his blood sugar levels totally under control. If you looked at him today, he's definitely not like someone you would think like, oh, that guy has diabetes. Like he looks like a personal trainer. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of in the background and we were trying to come up with these ideas and could never land on something good. It was like, everybody's already done everything. And we were pretty depressed one weekend. And so Jose was like, you know what? I'm going to just like bake a bunch of desserts uh, to make us feel better. And because of his sort of background with diabetes, he sought to make uh, sugar-free versions of a lot of his favorite desserts. Yeah. And, you know, use the internet, found some basic recipes, ended up making a bunch of stuff. Most of it was pretty bad. Uh, but he gave me these cookies that he made and they were made with almond flour and like monk fruit sweetener. And I ate them and I was like, you know what, this, this tastes really good. Like this is very close to a real cookie. Um, and if I go to our local grocery store, there's nothing like this on the mm -hmm. shelf, which mm -hmm. is surprising to me because, you know, almost everyone in the United States is trying to reduce their sugar intake. Yeah. A third, a third of the country is either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Everyone's doing diets. Low carb is super trendy. Uh, keto was re getting really big. And so we were like, Hey, this is it. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. why don't we, um, why don't we try this out? And, and what year was cookies. this? This is 2019. This so is about, 2019. Yep, yep. Yeah. About three and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we literally took those cookies, uh, to the co-working space we were at, started selling them at lunch and then eventually moved to farmer's markets. And, you know, I guess enough people bought the cookies to convince us that we should keep going. And, uh, that, that's sort of how chipmunk became like a real business. Awesome. So that was your early sort of product developments and, you know, confirmation that your idea had some, you know, had some legs to it. Um, where did the name chipmunk come from? Was this something that you guys had rattling around earlier on, or did that sort of iterate over time as well? Uh, so we came up with the business idea before the name. And so we knew we had to come up with a name. We were actually on a road trip to Austin of all places for a, like a guy's weekend. Yeah. And we drove by, uh, we were, we were driving, talking about the name and we drove by this giant squirrel statue. Um, it's like this big nut shop. And we were like, Oh, you know, that's interesting. Like squirrels eat nuts and we sell a nut based cookie. Maybe there's something there, but then we're like, you know, there's too many squirrels. What else could we use? And they're like chipmunk. Um, chipmunks eat nuts and seeds. They're high energy animals, which is like a good spirit animal for the business. Yeah. And then uh, kind of the, the the twist on it is the monk in our name is M O N K. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because that. we yeah. use we use monk fruit as our yeah. key sweetener, and then monks themselves are a symbol of mindfulness and balance. Yeah. Uh, which is what we're trying to promote. You know, people to look at their food with that mindset. Yeah, dude, it all ties up neatly with a nice little bow. That makes a lot of sense. I was wondering <laughs> um, how you tied in the monk with that spelling as well, but that's really cool. So, yeah, touching on the sweetener, you've um, created your own sweetener called Alu Monk, which is allulose and monk fruit. That's pretty cool that you guys sort of decided to pull a specific skew out of what you were creating at the time as well. Yeah, um, I think allulose is an excellent sweetener. We actually started with a sugar alcohol that most other companies use and quickly determined that that didn't create like the very best product like a stevia um, or something was it um it was it's called erythritol uh, it's a yep. sugar alcohol yep yep um and yeah so the thing about erythritol is it can upset your stomach really easily yep. and it's known to have kind of a weird cooling effect in your mouth ah. and so we did a lot of research to find like a better alternative we ended up finding allulose um allulose is actually a rare natural sugar so chemically it's almost identical to like regular sugar it's just 
slightly different enough where the human body cannot metabolize it in the same way. Mm. Um, the great thing from like a product perspective though, is because it's so close to sugar, it gives you a lot of the benefits that sugar gives to baked goods. So it like attracts moisture, makes our cookies nice, you know, soft and moist. Um, it actually can brown, so you can make like a pretty sick, oh, uh, caramel yeah, sauce. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it does, does all kinds of cool stuff. And, and in terms of us launching it as a separate product, it was, um, one of those things where it's like, well, we're literally buying like pallets of this stuff. <laughs> like, you know, like, why mm. can't we, uh, if open up another revenue stream, that's kind of my whole philosophy with our products is, um, like try to use the same supply chain, same ingredient base and like offer different iterations. So yeah. like, if you look at our cookie product line, um, they're 97% the same ingredients across mm -hmm. all of our different flavors and SKUs. Yeah. It's just slightly different. Um, and that allows us to be like much more efficient in production and in purchasing. our like purchasing of ingredients. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Like a lot of kitchens in restaurants work the same sort of way, like work from the same pantry and just make um, iterations and variations of it. Yeah. That I can imagine would definitely be beneficial for you. How have you found the supply chain issues at the moment? I know it's been a nightmare for everybody and, you know, with ingredients like, um, you know, your almond flour, which is already quite expensive. How have you mm. been able to manage your margins and being able to manage your costs of goods? It's, it's been a real struggle. Um, I'll say like in the past few months, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe we're like a frog in boiling water or we've just sort of accepted like, yeah. okay, well, I guess this is where prices are going to be. Um, it, 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 with specialty ingredients, I think like sometimes it can be like a game of whack-a-mole too, like where one mm -hmm. ingredient might spike, but then another might come down. So yeah. we've actually seen like almond flour, for example, come down in price uh, recently. I think for me, uh, like thinking financially about the business, it's, it's kind of like, well, if, if you're going to offer this product that's delivering on taste and the kind of nutritional values that you want, you're going to have to pay the mm. premium for these ingredients and you'll yeah. be subject to it. Um, the key as you're growing and scaling up is like, can you unlock production efficiency? Um, can you be more efficient with your labor? Uh, and then that can help you keep your unit costs under control and ideally actually improve your unit costs over time. Mm. Um, so that's what we've done. I mean, originally it was like just me and Jose scooping cookie dough and like putting them into bags one at a time. Um, but we've automated a lot of the process. We have like a dough forming machine. We have cool. a, a much larger mixer and oven. Uh, we actually have like an automated packing machine too, where you like feed the cookies in and it just packs them up. Um, so that has actually, you know, more than uh cut our labor costs probably more than 50 percent like since we've started that's significant and, yeah yeah so that offsets a lot of the the ingredient cost increases we've seen awesome so um you know you've got quite a few skews out there as you mentioned you've got six keto skews uh i can see four protein 10 keto bites which sort of go hand in hand with the cookies you've got the dry mixes you've got the sugar and then obviously on your website which i encourage everybody to go to like the work that these guys have put into their website's phenomenal it's very very clean it's a easy website to navigate but it's obviously something that's working and i think that i'd love to dig into that with you as well but the one thing i noticed is you offer a lot of bundles which i thought was really cool for everybody out there um yeah. mate how many SKUs did you actually launch with like when you're in the farmer's markets, for example? Uh, I mean, I think it all started with a chocolate chip cookie. Just one. And, yeah. yeah. And then over time, you know, it's like, hey, let's make different cookies. And um, the origination of the cookie bites actually was due to uh, us wanting to get into wholesale. And the uh, the pouch packaging is something that you can 
uh, nitrogen gas flush yeah. a lot easier yeah. than a little cookie bag. Yep. And that gets us the shelf life for wholesale. So that's that's exactly like why we developed that product. Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Um, did it take you guys a while to sort of like iron out the recipes so that you guys got a product that you were getting really good feedback on? And sort of what period of time did that occur over? And as you've been scaling and as you've been increasing your batch sizes and so on, has it been easy to keep consistent with your profiles that you've created? Or have you had to sort of work with somebody to, you know, regenerate or rebuild your recipes as you go? Yeah, it, it probably took us over a year from the you know first cookie we sold until we got, I would say about 99% to the recipe we are today. We've made mm -hmm. a few small changes since then. Um, uh, the biggest part of that was finding the right sweetener. Uh, like I said, we used erythritol originally. Yeah. Uh, when we switched to allulose, it, <laughs> the first batch we made, we were like, oh, we'll just do a one-to-one -one swap. And the cookies like came out like big flat pancakes. And we knew we were kind of uh, in trouble there. Um, so we found a, uh, a food scientist that works yeah. for the University of Houston. And uh, I literally emailed the entire staff of their like uh, hospitality school because I was like, maybe somebody knows something about baking. Yeah. And by luck, we found a guy who was a he had a Ph.D. in food safety and a background in commercial baking. And so he he actually still works with us as a consultant today. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it was an excellent resource. And he we were like, here's our broken recipe. Like, please help. <laughs> and uh, he, yeah. he helped, you know, helped us develop kind of the base that we have now. Yeah. Um, that, that's how we how we got there. Man, entrepreneurship's awesome. Like you just constantly get, you know, confronted with these, um, you know, uh, these barriers that you've got to move through and just to, you know, find the right people around you to help you work through those problems is pretty satisfying, I can imagine. Are you working out of a, a co-baking space or have you got your own space that you're working out of? So we actually have our own commercial bakery space. Um, awesome. I'm I'm sitting in like a warehouse room part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's about a three thousand square foot facility. A third of that is like a actual bakery, and yeah. then the rest is like office and storage. And um, yeah, we we make everything in house. That was a decision we had to make. Um, you know, as Jose and I, we transitioned out of our apartment baking cookies into a shared kitchen, mm. which was great for a short time, but definitely wasn't scalable. And, uh, and then we had to decide, well, do we want our own or do we want to work with a contract manufacturer? I think with the contract manufacturer, uh, biggest issue is like, we just can't meet these minimums. Yeah. Uh, they all want it, you know, like a hundred thousand cookies. It's like, there's yeah. no way I can even sell that many. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. and it also forces you to, um, kind of throw your whole lot into maybe one or two SKUs. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the big draws of our e-commerce business is we do offer a lot of variety and mm. like unique, fun, different things like that, that carrot cake cookie. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to keep it in house and it, it's allowed us to maintain quality control too, and really understand the process. Right. So that at some point we're going to use a contract manufacturer because it's just, I don't have any interest in owning like a 50,000 square foot cookie yeah. factory. Yeah. Um, uh, but now when I do go and find one to work with, I mean, I all understand the process very, very well and uh, can hopefully, I'm sure I'll miss some, catch a lot of the mistakes before uh, production begins. Yeah. I don't know who I was talking to the other day, but they've handed over like a, a 
oh, actually, it was a client that I was meeting with yesterday. I was talking to her and she is the contract manufacturer and she uh, works with a lot of clients and she takes on the volume of the business that, you know, that business can give away. And then they, the original business, so the business that's, um, you know, farming their workout um, just takes on like, you know, small specialty skews and items yeah. that won't meet her minimums. Maybe that'll be something that you'll do one day, you know, like Please. this carrot cake skew that you're just taking on. Like, obviously there wouldn't be enough volume in that to hand it over, but maybe you could, you know keep on doing yeah. it yourself. Yeah. We, we've actually done that um, a couple times that with a contract manufacturer, because we we did have a, a couple instances where it was like an order that was so large, it would have oh, taken like our PO. team. Yeah. Yeah. It would have taken our team like weeks to do it and it would have thrown everything out of whack. Yeah. So we yeah. found a, a, a small size contract manufacturer in Texas as well. And they were able to help us get through that. Yeah. Awesome, man. It's amazing how creative you can be. Um, Mate, when I'm looking on LinkedIn, like obviously when I knew that I'd be having this conversation with you, I went back and I did my research on you and your business and so on. And what I found with um, your post on LinkedIn is that you're extremely transparent with the business process that you're going through right now. And, you know, some of the struggles that you've had and you put a post up about three weeks ago, and I just want to read it out because not many people are this frank and this honest with their LinkedIn posts. And I, I really enjoyed it. So you said in August, Chipmunk Banking, Chipmunk Banking had our highest revenue month for the year, but we still lost money. 2022 has been a real struggle as we've faced significantly higher costs across the board. So ingredients, customer acquisition, labor, et cetera, while sales in some channels have stagnated. Having gone through fundraising several times, my, my overarching focus for the year was to get to profitability. I don't want to get caught up in the constant cycle of asking for external capital. And you go on there and you say, what is the point of this post? Well, if you're going through something similar, maybe it helps to know that you aren't alone and you go on there as well. Mate, tell me, like, what kind of feedback did you get on that? Like, I'm assuming that there are a lot of people in this boat that you're in right now. And how have you found the fundraising sort of process to be, especially in the early days of a business that's only three years old? Yeah, I think I, I got some great um, feedback on that post. And uh, my whole kind of goal of being transparent and vulnerable in a lot of those posts is just to let people know, you know, they aren't alone. Um, mm. I think what I feel and what I post about is what 99.9% .9 of entrepreneurs actually go through. Yeah. Um, but if you just read the news about like startups, it's usually just giant fundraising rounds or really flashy founders mm -hmm. or products. And that that's not, that's really not how it is. Um, so part of it is like me trying to help others who are maybe going through the same, you know, stuff that I am, but it's also maybe a part two where if you're not an entrepreneur and you're watching all this, Hey, maybe really, really think about this, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like don't, don't, uh, don't think like we're living the perfect life. And also if you're going to jump into starting your own business, like you need to consider these things. Um, yeah. so that, that, that part was, uh, what was the second part of your question? Oh, sorry. I closed the window, but let me go back. Uh, da, 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 da. You know what? I forgot. Oh, the, the fun, second part. fundraising. The fundraising. Cycle. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. How have you yeah. found the fundraising cycle? Because I, especially with you coming from your um, accounting background, I can imagine that you'd put through or, you know, build some pretty awesome projections and, you know, um, be able to have a really good idea of what's realistic in terms of your capabilities and where you're growing the business to. So how have you found like pitching your business idea? And then when it gets to a point where people are like, yeah, okay, let's consider this as an investable business. What have yeah. you presented to them? Yeah. Um, my background in venture capital before this definitely helped. <laughs> like mm. I, I knew how to build like a nice pitch deck and yeah. kind of come up with like a plan and financial projections and all that. Um, I'll say most of our fundraising to date was that we, we did a crowdfunding campaign oh, cool. and then yeah. uh, a, what you would call like a friends and family round. So 
you know, I think in both instances, people are probably more investing in like you yeah. or your personal story yeah. than the financials of the business, um, which I mean, that's that's great. Uh, and I, I think like uh, developing personal connections is probably key mm. to successful fundraising early on yep. um, and really just exuding your excitement for the business and also a level of professionalism that lets people know, you know, like this, this person has at least thought about some of these strategic questions and has thought about like the financial pieces of it. Um, in terms of like the next stage of fundraising, I think that's where it gets really challenging, especially in the current environment when you start to deal with like institutional investors or investors that are are looking at other industries or verticals to invest in right um like if you compare cpg to like technology i honestly i it blows my mind that anyone even invests in cpg sometimes yeah, because such it's just yeah it's it's a grind um you know margins are relatively low and yeah it, it, you're a lot of external factors too can just wipe out a business mm -hmm. um so that's been kind of the tough part uh again I, I think a lot of it comes down to uh finding folks that maybe align with like your your vision or mission behind the company um so maybe people who are actual customers of your product is always really good or you know maybe they have um like a personal uh diabetes or celiac disease or yeah. a food story um and they're they're almost like more investing in the mission versus just like i want a massive financial return yeah. um generally you you don't really want to work with any investor that's looking for a short-term return in and out uh, yeah yeah that's just not going to happen in in kind of the world of cpg startups like they should go invest in i don't know real estate or something yeah but, yeah um yeah it's 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 a challenge and i think like it also takes a certain type of personality um, to to really lean into it. It's almost like a sales thing, right? Like you mm -hmm. you need to get energy from people, and you're pre you're presenting yourself, you're putting you and your company out there, and uh, that can be really draining. And it for me personally, I don't I don't like it at all. Like I love to I love stuff like this, like what we're doing, like a one on one conversation. Yeah. Let me get coffee with someone. We'll learn from each other. I don't want to get up in front of a room and do like a show and dance and throw candy bars around and stuff. And Dragon stand just, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just not who I am. Like I can do it and I, I think I can do a pretty good job of it. But when I go home at the end of the day, I feel exhausted. Yeah. Uh, and so to do that constantly versus like working on doing the one-on-one -on -one work with like, say my internal team, I'm making mm. the company better. Yeah. Uh, like I'd rather work on the company. Yeah. But yeah yeah <laughs> it's important to know your space yeah for sure and how's jose is it like he would be the the flip side the invert to that i'm assuming is he the guy that can be the face of the business when you're out there you know speaking in front of crowds yeah so jose um i think it's like an important topic there is like it's good to find a, a co-founder that mm. his strengths kind of mirror your weaknesses and vice versa yeah so he he gets energy from being in front of people um, his personal story is kind of the, the why behind Chipmunk. And so like his passion for the product and like what we're trying to do comes out a lot more. I would mm -hmm. say generally he's he's just a much more like positive uh, person. Yep. I'm, I would say like realistic, but people would say pessimistic, you know, externally. Like yep. I'm, I'm usually looking at the numbers and, and processes uh, versus like Jose is just like, well, like look at all that we've done so far and like yeah. how many people need our product. There's like yep. a giant blue ocean here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely great. I I find that like the further we get down the line, whenever there's like larger events or conferences and things, I'll 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 be like, hey Jose, <laughs> like why don't you go uh, go do that? And then you know I I do better kind of 
I'm almost like the Alfred to his Batman, right? Like I'll be in the back cave, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, making sure we're running the company well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really helpful, and and also just in terms of like a relationship, like a friendship over time too. Mm-hmm. Like um, there's been times where I've been really down or depressed, and it it's very helpful to have someone who's positive mm-hmm. uh, nearby. Uh, because if it, if there were like two of me in the same room, I probably would have quit. You know, yeah. like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, finding a founder that is complementary to your skill set and emotional sort of like level is so important. But I can imagine, and let's be real here, that there must be conflict at times. You know, um, you hear horror stories of founders, you know, uh, ripping not only each other, but the business apart. Um, I've spoken to husband and wife couples, and they have very clear terms of engagement when they're at work. And, you know, they leave work at work. And when they go home, you know, they don't even talk about business because it's hard on the marriage. How do you two work together to, you know, potentially work through any conflict of interest or because I think it's an important conversation to have because, you know, as we sort of started the conversation off, like a lot of CPG businesses, um, you know, they look great through the lens of, you know, social media and the website and everything that's going on. But what's really happening behind the curtain can be a completely different story. So how have you found it, you know, working from day to day with each other? How have you managed to work through any battles that you may have potentially come up against? Yeah, um, I'd say like a good thing that you can do early on with your co-founder or like early team is uh, I think that I forget which book it came from. Um, it's like E-Myth Revisited or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like actually write out or draw out an organization chart for your future organization. Um, Obviously when it was just me and Jose, like we were the organization, Um, but it's like, hey, like let's bucket out the key parts of this business and assign ownership uh, to those parts. And it just really clearly delineating like who is responsible for what. And so that one, we can hold each other accountable to our own areas, but two, so we stay out of each other's way. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Jose, he he's really like head of all of our business development. Like he leads all of our wholesale outreach. So like, I don't, I, I'm not making calls to like distributors or buyers because I don't want to step on his feet. Yeah. I will of course like help him look at it from like, here are the metrics and like, where are we focusing the strategy? But like that ownership is on him. Mm. Um, same thing where like the ownership around like operations is for me or like, you know, bookkeeping and finance. Um, So I would say that early exercises, it it just helped us avoid a lot of conflict early on. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. And then I I think, you know, down the road, there's definitely been times where maybe we didn't see eye to eye. And I I think at that point, it's just really important to communicate. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, we've always, I mean, we're good friends. So I don't think we've ever had like a a fight per se, Uh, but it's just like have honest communication, like get out of the office, like remove yourself from that, the the day-to-day space, Uh, maybe go somewhere for the weekend or whatever, a coffee shop. And, uh, you know, I, I, the way I approach it is like, look, here, here are my like concerns. And like, this is, this is how it affects not just me personally, but like the business and hence us and our, our long-term kind of chances of success. And, and like, this is, this is where, like, I I think we need to, uh, you know, work harder or differently and I need your help to do it. Um, and you know, I think it's just trying to look at everything as like this, you know, this is a partnership. I guess it's almost like just, there's no, there's never a thought that like, we're not going to do this together. It's just like, how are we going to do it? Um, But that does involve, you know, tough conversations where it's like, I don't, you know, I don't think you're necessarily doing it the right way. 
Um, and, but then also asking like for that feedback, like tell me when you don't think I'm doing yeah. it the right way. Yeah, um, yeah. but it's, it's easier said than done. I, I think, um, some people's personalities too, are just better fits for that. Like I said, Jose is like hyper positive person. Mm. So I could probably say like the meanest thing to him and he, he wouldn't, you know, he just kind of brush it off and he'd yeah. actually listen, yeah. um, versus some people, you know, you might give them the slightest criticism and they'll, they'll blow up. Crumble. So. Yeah. And especially it sounds like with, um, Jose being an athlete and you're know, coming from that fitness world as well. Like, you know, um, athletes are used to getting criticism and receiving criticism and then doing something positive with it. And especially yeah. you guys being workout buddies in the past, like if you guys went out and did a heavy kettlebell workout and then had a chat after it would be a completely different conversation than the, the conversation that you'd have before a workout, I'd imagine <laughs> like going into it with a clear head. You know, I know that my brain and I just digest information so much better after a workout. And if something's on my my mind like i know that the next day when i'm in the gym when i'm out and i'm cooling down i just feel so much better about the issues that i'm confronted with it's yeah. amazing yeah. yeah do you still work out daily like is that a part of your routine yeah um for a long time well so eventually jose and i had, had to not be roommates because i got married and he, oh, he congratulations. started yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he started dating someone seriously and yeah. um yeah. So like, I, I think we've both kind of, we've kept it up, but like yeah. in our own way for oh, a long yeah. time, I was yeah. just doing my own thing. And recently I've actually started, um, kind of a combination of like group classes, awesome. which I love the kind of socialization of it. Yeah. Like it's, it's awesome when you have like friends that you see them every day and you kind of help push each other. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, and then yoga, um, I'm really fortunate in that my, my work, my wife is a, um, on the side, she has a full-time career, but she is also a certified yoga teacher. Perfect. Um, and so she teaches classes on the weekends and I, I get to go for free, which is, yeah. which is great. Um, but yeah, as <laughs> sounds like you've older, gotten away with a bit, mate, having a workout buddy. And then now I've got yeah. a wife that's a yoga instructor. You've done well. Yeah. It's my life strategy. It's like just befriend people <laughs> with like really expensive skills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need a buddy that's a doctor. <laughs> seriously <laughs> yeah mate um so tell us where you're currently at with chipmunk i can see the business is growing you've got your e-com strategy obviously locked down and your social campaigns are obviously ticking along nicely how have you sort of managed to sort of work out your strategy there and implement it all um i mean i would say where we are right now it's it uh, kind of what i said in that linkedin post i'm really trying yeah. to get us to sustainable profitability yeah um the business is running at about a million in revenue a year a little bit more congratulations um, that would have been and, an amazing feeling like hitting that number yeah yeah it's um it's weird how like numbers like that you know now it's like kind of a matter of fact thing but yeah. if you told me that when we first started i would have been especially blown away. through you know dealing with the uh, the pandemic and you know obviously all of the um, supply chain issues and everything that you obviously mentioned before to hit a million dollars in revenue is such a huge achievement. So congratulations on that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Now we just have to figure out how to make a profit on yeah. a million dollars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm, I'm mostly focused on. I think for a long time we were, we were overspending on, especially on the e-commerce side of business, like, uh, you know, Facebook ads, acquisition costs. And I, I think we weren't, we were kind of being blind to some of the trends we were seeing because we were, we were seeing such great growth across the board. But then um, coming into this year where I was like, you know what, I we kind of have a last chunk of, of fundraising that I've done, but I don't really want to go back anytime soon. Yeah. Um, we've been trying to shift more to profitability. So that's involved us um, reducing a lot of our ad spend. And then uh, I would say like refocusing on 
maybe like you could call it like performance-based marketing. So like, is there, are there other channels where we can spend money and get more of a guaranteed return mm -hmm. on said money, uh, like affiliate marketing? Yeah. And then uh, I, I guess you could say like conversion rate optimization, right? Like, <laughs> are we doing the best that we can with the traffic that we are getting on the website, whether that's paid or, or organic? Um, so that that's really been the focus on the e-commerce side. It's almost, it's like, let's do more with the same resources or even fewer resources on e-commerce. And then in terms of growth, uh, the growth channels for us, it still lies in like wholesale. And um, because we make our own stuff, like we have our own bakery, we've actually been pursuing some private label mm. uh, manufacturing work too, where we will make cookies on behalf of other companies and we'll just package it like in their branding. And uh, even though it doesn't like build the chipmunk brand, it definitely brings in some good cash, cash flow. flow. Yeah. And uh, it just lets us utilize the facility that we're already, you know, paying rent for 24 hours a day. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, that's such a good strategy. Did it take you guys a while to a, a, arrive in that place where you're like, we've actually got the capacity and the capability to take on other people's business? We kind of fell into it. Honestly, um, there was a, a chain of meal prep stores and um kind of through a friend of a friend the owner met jose and he came and visited our bakery and he was like oh you know like i i make like muffins and protein cookies and i sell tons of them and it's always so hard for me to find like a you know a reliable bakery to make them and so we were like oh well you know maybe we can make them for you and uh that that kind of evolved like we iterated a little bit on like a formula and um but it, eventually it's it, like we we figured it out and we're able to work it into our production and uh did all the packaging and and now it's like a great recurring stream of revenue so when we saw the success there you know we were like there's got to be other you know accounts like that so we started doing more um active outreach mm -hmm. to to develop that but it's it's still the same um, philosophy I have. Like, I do not want to make bread or pancakes or donuts for yeah. private label. Yeah. It's got to be stuff that's like very closely aligned to our existing ingredient and yeah. processes. Yeah. And uh, but as long as we can stick close to that, then it's very efficient and can be great margin for us. That's awesome. Mate, you mentioned packaging. Um, did you work with a design agency or a graphic designer on your packaging? And, <laughs> you know, how have you sort yeah. of managed to evolve that over time? Yeah, I'm laughing because uh, my, I guess, relationship luck strikes again. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my sister-in-law is a supremely talented graphic designer. Uh, awesome. Her name's Br Brigitte Zabulianite. And um, she she's worked for like Starbucks and Drizzly and a lot of CPG brands. And so when we start, like literally at the very beginning when we started it, I was like, I need your help. And um, so she did all of our branding logo and stuff um, up front. And yeah. then uh, over the, you know, the course of the the company, she's done like all of our packaging design yeah. and uh, a lot of our like marketing collateral design. But I, I think, um, yeah, like her work on the packaging has been it just, it, it was so good. It's it's so much of why I think we we stand out on the shelf. And um, yeah, it I was looks just, so established. Just, the brand yeah. is, looks so established. Yeah. 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 I'm on your website again now. And yeah, it's amazing what she's done as well. You know, I see packaging every day and, uh, you know, you can tell when some people have put, you know, a lot of time and energy and funds in, into their brand and their packaging development and yours looks awesome. So that's yeah, really cool. I, I will say like, um, if you're in CPG and you're working for packaging design, like don't look to your designer to figure out like what copy should be on there yeah. or like the call out. So <laughs> yeah. that, that was an area where 
where our team did do a lot of work yeah. is um, phone conversations with our top customers, lots mm -hmm. of surveying, um, lots of in-person conversations and, and really figuring out like, why do people pick this up in the first place? Uh, that's why, and you know, maybe it'll change at some point, but when you look at our packaging, like keto is this giant, like big word. Smack bang in it's, the middle, keto cookie. It, Made in it's because like ninety-five <laughs> yeah. percent of our top customers that they're all doing like the keto diet or yeah. like that's why they tried us. So yeah. that's why we put it there and and everything like the um, soft and chewy, soft baked. That was like an interesting thing. We had no idea, but in the world of cookies, there's like crunchy cookies versus soft cookies, mm -hmm. and they don't mix. Like, in uh, our customers like the soft baked cookies. That was a big selling point for them. So we put it on the package, stuff yeah. like that, and made with monk fruit. I thought yeah. that was really good. Yeah, right front and center as well. No, man, mm -hmm. and the color scheme that you guys chose as well, like the color palette is really nice right across the board. And with your stand-up pouches too, like, you know, they're really clean, clean labels and identifiable. Yeah, no, it's really great, mate. You guys have spent a lot of time on that. In terms of your website, did you guys build that out yourself as well? Has that taken a few iterations too? Yeah, the website's like a Theseus's ship, you know, it's like you keep replacing yeah. replacing yeah. the wood planks until you have an entirely different ship. Yeah, um, there's a joke out there and there's this uh, city worker and he was he had a shovel and he's like, how old's the shovel? He's like, well, it's had six new heads and four new handles over the course of my career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will say we, when we started, we actually did our first website on Squarespace yeah. um, because it was just so user-friendly. Like Jose yeah. and I were literally, we don't have any coding background. So yeah. we were able to whip something up that looked really nice. Um, but behind the scenes, it didn't have a lot of the functionality that we wanted. That's yeah. that's the downside with Squarespace is it has no real app marketplace. So yeah. if it doesn't do what you want it to do, you're yeah. kind of out of luck. Uh, yeah. So uh, after about a year of running on there, we, we actually met another startup in the, the co-founding place we were at and um, they were building like a marketing app, but they uh, they were both like Shopify kind of developers mm -hmm. and had kind of a background in that. And they were like, hey, look, like for a low flat rate, we'll, we'll build you a custom website on Shopify and uh, migrate all your stuff over from Squarespace. So we, we engaged with them and that was sort of that first iteration. And then I would say like over time, uh, we found a great like off offshore developer um, who uh, like he can kind of do whatever we want if we tell yeah. him what we want. Yeah. And if you're clear so, with your direction. Yeah. Yeah. So we um, we worked with him to kind of do a refresh uh, probably back in 2020. And, you know, the what we actually did, it was a little sneaky is like we looked at all of our competition online mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. just took the elements that we thought were best because we're yeah. like, well, if it's working for them, it must be good. Yeah. Um, and so we we mimicked a lot of that. And then uh, I would just say I use a lot of like I use LinkedIn is huge. Uh, and then uh, newsletters like the DTC newsletter uh, has a lot of really good, interesting ideas. I just read this stuff every day. And then um, whenever I come across something that seems potentially like interesting or worth implementing, yeah. um, I, I email my brother, who's actually our digital marketing director. <laughs> yeah. Um, and be like, hey, check this out. And then if it like if it makes sense, we'll have our developer change it. So we're we're kind of constantly iterating. Um, one thing we we're recently looking at is an app called like Tolstoy, which it's like a it's like an FAQ, but it's all video. It's mm. like a little video that pops up in the corner of your I screen. I just had that dude just pop up. It looked like he was in a kitchen. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I saw that on another brand's website and I thought it was really engaging um, because, you know, that's that's a big part of marketing, right, is like addressing questions and concerns up front. Yep. And uh, it puts a human face to it with with Jose there. Yeah. So that was something like I read it in an app. I reached out to the founder that's using it on their web page and asked them how it was going. They gave me a, group, a thumbs up. And so we like implemented it. We'll awesome. now test it. And if it, if it does well, we'll keep it. Otherwise we'll take it off and try something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of ma marketing budget and bang for your buck, like how have you managed to um, develop a marketing budget and sort of what your spend would be and, and so on along those lines? Yeah. I, I, we don't really have a great, like line item marketing budget, yeah. I will say uh, we do look at our, I guess, like ad spend overall and compare that to like our e-commerce revenue. And yeah. we try to keep it at like 10%. Um, it's like just a, a ratio. rule of thumb. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, and then I would say outside of that, the, the really big numbers we look at every week is just our um, our CPA, like our cu uh, customer acquisition costs. Yeah. Um, specifically on like Facebook and Amazon, cause those are our biggest ad spend channels. And so we take that and then every, every few months or so I'll, I'll refresh like a, like a customer lifetime analysis where we'll just look at like, you know, number of orders, number of customers, number of repeat customers, average order value and figure out, you know, what is that? Like, what is our customer acquisition cost compared to like that one year lifetime value mm. uh, and make sure that there's a, a nice gap <laughs> between the two. Otherwise, yeah. you know, like we're just burning money. Um, so that, that's kind of how we guide things. So when our, when our CPA gets like way out of whack, um, then that's when I'll tell like Michael, we need to cut back on, you know, on our ad spend. And, and so we figure that out um, or the, you know, external environment improves. Mm. So that um, once you've got the customer, how are you managing to hold on to them? Is it like through subscriptions or, you know, give us the secret sauce there? Yeah, I would say subscriptions have never been a great uh, thing for us. Like we've okay. always had it as an availability, but I think yeah. like less than 1% of our customers use it. Yeah. Uh, I think a part of it is people want the ability to, kind of like come back and tra change and do different things. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's never been a winner for us. I'll say um, email and SMS marketing mm. are really the key to our uh, kind of customer retention. And we do a, a really good job on both where we have a series of automated flows based off of a customer and website visitor behavior, yeah. uh, you know, reminding them like, Hey, it's been a while since you've ordered or like, yeah. here's a product you might enjoy. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think the biggest part, and that this is something I, I struggle with because I don't know how scalable it ultimately will be is that like small batch, uh, release stuff that we do. Mm. Oh my gosh. Like it drives so much engagement and repeat, uh, customer purchases. Like we have a lot of customers that like that's the main reason they stick around is they want to see what we're going to come out with. Cool. Um, the good thing is they'll usually bundle it up with like our regular, you know, our main products as well. But that's really important. So we um, every week, like Michael, uh, Jose and I, like we we plan out pretty far in advance, like hey, what are our small batch products going to be, making sure the production team, you know, has everything they need to get that out. Uh, and then like figuring out how are we going to communicate it? Sometimes we get very fortunate. Um, we, we have a great partnership with an influencer called uh, Sirius Keto on YouTube, uh -huh. and uh, he's got 200,000 subscribers, and he loves our stuff. And um, sometimes if we can get things to him like early on, he will actually like do a, a kind of a like launch video. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so that's exactly like what happened with the carrot cake and it, you know, it, it really blew up. So 
you know, that would be my advice. Uh, if your team is capable of doing like small batch releases, definitely find like a strong influencer partner uh, to help amplify uh, the, the release, but also like just build up a strong list of email and SMS because, you know, that every time we send a release email out, that's thousands of guaranteed dollars uh, right there. So, yeah. and I, I guess another piece too, is like, if you think about if that's the, the revenue driver for us, a big focus of ours is like, how do we grow the email and SMS list with, um, you know, like people that actually might be interested in the product. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think there's two things you can do there. One is like take advantage of all the traffic coming to your website, make sure you've got like really good pop-ups that uh, encourage people to join and give them kind of the incentive to do so. Yeah. And then, uh, work with other brands in your space. Like you can do social media collaborations. We've done that a ton of times with like other keto snack brands, like, hey, go to this landing page, put in your email for a chance to win a box of like jerky and cookies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes those will generate 500 to 1000 emails in like one, you know, one post. Yeah, man, the the population of people that you have access to in the States is insane. Like I've said it as well, like the whole population of Australia or the whole population of Canada is sitting within California alone. Like the market <laughs> access that you've got is nuts. So I'm not surprised yeah. that you're getting such great engagement as well. Um, if you were to go back to the start of, you know, back when you and Jose were just tossing around the idea of chipmunk and you're like, all right, let's do this. You got to the farmer's market and you look at where you are today. Mm -hmm. You've made such progress. You've hit a million dollars in revenue. You're in your own facility. You've got a, a huge volume of SKUs out in the marketplace. You're working with influencers. Your e-com stores seems to be on lockdown now, and you're doing a lot of testing. Looking at where you are today and where you were, if you were to have a chat with somebody or even yourself back when you were start getting started, what would sort of be the critical, the most critical components that you would advise people focus on? Uh, it's... Uh... It's really hard. I think from like a, like a business owner's perspective, going from like year one to say like year four or five or maybe sooner yeah. <laughs> is like, it's all about like, how do you almost take yourself out of the business, right? Like you can't do everything. And if you do, you won't, one, you're going to burn out and two, yeah. you're not going to actually be able to focus on like where the business is going. Yeah. Um, and so I think the key is like, sort of understanding those gaps, like one, where do I want to work? And like two, where do I need someone to help me and step in? Mm. And then and then bringing those people in like strategically and really taking a lot of time um, considering anybody you do bring in. I, I think that's something that like Jose and I early on, we needed help on production as, as the, kind of the biggest area. And we literally like we <laughs> we would just take anybody is like, hey, you want, you know, you want 50 bucks in cash? Like, here we go, like hop in. And um that like can work in a very short term, but like mm -hmm. long term, that is not how you build like a team that can operate without you. Like yeah. you need to have people that believe in the company, they believe in the product, they have a the great part of the culture, uh, they can operate independently. So that those people take time uh, to find. And then you also need to like invest in them both from a financial perspective, like, you know, where you can pay people well. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, as a leader, like make sure you're investing the time, you know, doing one-on-one -on -one meetings, setting personal goals, helping them. Maybe you can help them outside of work. Like if they're, if say they want to go to university or they're, they're interested in pursuing like some other challenge you know, leveraging your network and, and what you might know to, mm. to help them to just investing in your people. Um, I think that's, that's like the real key. And then it, it's a, 
it's really liberating when you can get to a point like that. Um, I'm, we're not totally there, but we're so much better, uh, yeah. you know, where like I can go on vacation and like, I know that the cookies that we have on the schedule are going to get made. We're going to ship them out. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that. I know that Jose is going to be making phone calls and, and making sales. It's kind of like running along. Um, and for me that that's like really rewarding. And mm -hmm. I, I, it's almost like, I, I love that aspect of it so much more than just the Oh, I'm gonna sell this company for five hundred million dollars, which I never will. Um, but never you know, I think a never. lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people get into it, you know, thinking that's what's gonna happen. That's the exit. Yeah, um, they're building for an exit, but there's a lot of work to be done between now and then. You know. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So it's people is the is my short answer. Best in people. Good advice. So if we were to fast forward a year from now, and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Um, I think best year ever, definitely on the wholesale side, we would be onboarded with another distributor that could give us access slash get us into a couple regional grocery chains. So like my dream chain would be HEB here in Texas. It's like a 200 plus stores. It's just a Texan brand. It's a but monster. Yeah. Yeah. Like high, very high quality stores. Some are in very high income you know, areas. Uh, that business alone you know, like could be enough for years. Um, and, and just to, to, to be doing really well, there would be amazing. Uh, and then same thing, like I think on the private label side, even just like three to five, uh, other accounts where it's like 10, 20,000 a month in revenue, but it's like pretty, you know, lock, stock and barrel, like not too difficult to get out. Like that would be awesome. Um, and ultimately like, yeah, we just, we generate like a profit, right? Like, yep. okay. Like we do 2 million in revenue and we walk away with like 200,000 in profit. Like I would be over the moon. Um, if the profit were $2,000, I'd be over the moon. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, that would be kind of it. Uh, you know, one thing I don't, I don't want to grow too fast. Cause, um, you know, when you, when you make huge, when you go from like a million to 10 million, if you do that too fast, you're going to make a mistake you're gonna something's gonna fall. break yeah yeah um and and like the the faster and bigger those changes are like the, the higher the chances when it does break your business is just gonna implode yeah. um so i i you know i'm i'm okay kind of being cautious and definitely this year slowing things down and making sure that like we're we're executing kind of really well across the all the different dimensions of the business and, yeah. and getting to that profitability point dude none of it seems too far to reach to me <laughs> like they're all achievable goals. You know, it's just on the HEB website. It looks a bit like a, a kind of like a Whole Foods, but it's got that Texas flavor to it. Like there's the football in there. And I love watching, like I'm from Australia, right? So like American culture is so ingrained in our TV that I grew up with, but Texas yeah. is another beast. I've been to Atlanta. I went to um, Georgia and it was beautiful. Oh, mm -hmm. Georgia and I went to Atlanta. I was there for the um, a coffee expo and it was amazing. But awesome. I'm very, uh, that's sort of as south as I've gone and I'd definitely love to get to Texas one day. But man, that Texas culture that you guys have got going on is, is pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. I, you could probably argue that like Australians and Texans sort of have a similar vibe. You know, it's like, yeah, pretty laid back. I don't know, lo loners and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you don't mess with, don't mess with them. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. We've both got a, a huge space that we occupy as well. Like Texas is huge and Australia is huge. Yeah. Very similar in a lot of ways. Um, awesome, man. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot through this conversation. I think that everybody listening um, will have as well. Um, if anybody wanted to get in touch, uh, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah. If you want to check us out, our website's chipmunkbaking.com. You can also find us on Amazon. If anybody wants to get in touch with me personally, 
you can just find me on LinkedIn. Just search David Downing. You can also email me. Um, my email is just david at chipmunkbaking.com. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, especially other entrepreneurs, I'm always really happy to just chat. Um, there doesn't have to be an agenda. I love meeting, meeting people trying to do similar things. And, um, you know, usually you learn something from each other. So especially anyone else you're looking to talk to someone in the space or maybe not in the space, but they're trying to build a business, please reach out. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed it. Take care. Thanks, Aiden. Bye. Thanks again for taking the time out of your busy day to join me for today's episode. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation or if you've got any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn or Instagram at thepackheavypodcast. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you with your business and your packaging vision, feel free to drop me a line and we'll continue the conversation there too. I'll see you next week.